The End of the World is Just the Beginning by Peter Zeehan. And I don't know if you've ever read his book, um, but it's, he's talking in the book about how the global economies are changing and how we're, we look at China as our, our, our near peer threat, and they are. But in 10 years, they will not have the workforce. They will die off to sustain the work that they're doing now. We are not far behind them. Welcome to The Lojo Show. I'm your host, Lobacher Jones. I'm the founder and managing member at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 21 years of cybersecurity experience, and I'm honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. Thank you for joining us on episode four of our exclusive series with Katie Arrington. We have given Katie a platform to let loose and let us know what the real deal is. If you haven't listened to the first three episodes with Katie, I highly recommend you go and give that a listen. Katie continues to give us the on the ground perspective about security within the Department of Defense. We are very excited to continue this series. Please join us for this fantastic episode. We hope you enjoy. Okay. <laughs> All right, Katie, great to have you back on. Um, this is our uh, this is our fourth series here. Um, uh, starting to get more and more enjoyable here. Uh, one of the things that I just want to just tell to our say to our listeners is that um, again, this is this is unfiltered. This is very as real as it gets. And you know, one of the things that we think are definitely missing in the world is the ability to tell the stories from our perspective and the way that it's impacted us and the experiences that we have. And you know, one of the things that we want to make sure that we do both on this podcast, you know, today as well as in the future is to make sure that we're unfiltering things. You hear enough filtered news, you hear enough filtered um, um, perspective, but when you do that, you, what you understand is that you're not really getting the, the true perspective, right? You're not getting what the truth is, you know, within there. And so uh, let's, you know, let's go ahead and then take the walls down again and let's have this conversation. You may agree with Katie, you may disagree with Katie, but at the end of the day, this is her story and this is her perspective of it. So just remember that. I appreciate that. That's very sweet of you. But it's, and we were just talking before we got on the podcast that, you know, there's, you know, my truth, your truth, and somewhere in the middle is reality, um, which is always good. But perspective is fun. Mine is just, um, I, you know, so many people have been talking to me about this podcast and they're like, what are you going to say mean about the DOD? And listen, we are, like I said, I think it was on our second podcast. I, I made a mention that the dib needs to, we need to, you know, we're like a family, like behind the door, like the family can have disagreements, but outside the door, we're unified. And the disagreements and, and the conversations are what's critically essential um, to anybody having a good relationship. The dib, all of us, it's critical to have good relationships. You have to be able to communicate and you don't always have to agree. You've got to be respectful about it. But you don't always have to agree. And I, I can tell you, there were 
many the day in, in, in my time in the DOD and, and everything I've done professionally from legislator to uh, owning my own business to working in large and small and working in the DOD and the government. Um, no one's going to agree. I mean, especially when you have to coordinate. I mean, I don't know, I, whoever thought of that process, you know, oh, you need to cord that. It, it, I would get those memos. It's just like, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, no, 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 no. And then in the DOD land, right, when you cord on a document, you coordinate, you get to write what you dislike about the document, right? And <laughs> you really, you got some people in there. Wow, they, they've got lots to say. <laughs> and you have to respect it. And you, you have to make those negotiations to get anything through. So it's definitely all about perspective and trying to compromise, find the middle ground. So I think that's what today's uh, podcast is about, isn't it? That is. Hit the head and you hit the nose yeah. on the head. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think one of the, uh, I think one of the the missing pieces to a lot of folks' understanding of industry and government or industry and DOD is that folks think that one is driving the other. Why did the government do this, right? Oh, the contractor. How did they fall short here, right? I think what we tend to miss is that it really is a, a join and collaboration and stuff there that happens. And that's in anything, right? And true, oh, there are finances and economics involved in it. But uh, from the end point, as far as on, again, you know, servicing the warfighter and stuff too, in this instance for the DOD, uh, it is. It's a tremendously large, most complex collaboration that you've ever seen. <laughs> No, so. oh, it's and it, you before you know we were starting and you guys missed the first you know because we we didn't hit record you know who's running the show you know is it DOD or is it industry I'm like nobody yeah <laughs> 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 nobody um, it's and and this is so one of the the things that I I take and I treasure the most right were my relationships with my sisos in industry right I still to this day they are some of the most honest upfront loyal people that will tell you the truth. I mean, we had, um, I, I believe that the, the, and the way I look at the government, right? And I have, a, I have a different view than some people. The government is not something that lives like on a hill, right? We are all part of it. And when we were doing the CMMC, when we were trying to talk about strategic cybersecurity, I always talk to my CISOs, right? Industry has, you know, you talk to somebody, you know, uh, J.C. Dobson, right? He's over BAE, right? All the security. Or, you know, Mike, uh, Mike Gordon over at Lockheed Martin. You, these guys have massive infrastructures that they're managing. And they have the capability to do things in industry that take 20 years to, to put into to our, our government system. And, and sometimes you look at what they're doing and you're like, wow. You know, I wish I could do that. But then on the other hand, you know, then they don't have the capability of having, you know, an, an uh, Intel or NSA or, um, you know, to have the capability of having cyber offensive. I mean, the fact we've got cyber cops, I mean, that, that makes a big difference. But it was those guys and gals, I mean, fellas, I mean, there were many of us. Um, I set up a, uh, you know, people don't realize we had, Creating the CMMC was, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode, was a collaboration. You know, we went through four public iterations where we asked the public what they wanted or what they thought, right? And we, we took thousands of input, 
and we would, you know, I'd get on a phone call, um, volunteer, not part of my job, not, not part of my day, you know, at 7 a.m. every other Friday morning with, you know, it ended up being 40 plus people. And they would tell me, you know, Kate, what you're saying is, is, is good in theory. It's horrible in execution. Well, explain to me that, right? Tell me how that walks out. And I, I gave the example and I'll give it again, right? One of the things that in, you know, the original CMMC, when they, we were talking to the accreditation body and to DIBCAC and to the CISOs, um, you know, how to evaluate how a company uh, lets software onto a network that'll have COI. What do you, where is it that you have, you know, we have our, you know, the Department of Defense has their ATOs and our, our testing and processes. What do yours look like, company A? And you can't, and this is where risk is something you have to take into consideration, you know. Do you test every single piece of software that they have? Or do you look at their, you know, their processes their, their, in their RMS, and then you sample set one, and, and you should say, okay, you can pick out of all the different software we have and pick one and evaluate just that or and assume that they're following the process because there is risk involved. You can't be everywhere all the time. Or do you evaluate every single one? And, and you know, I'm like, and this is really funny. I was on the side of the industry. I'm like, you pick one or two, call it a day. It's, we're not trying to like, the CMMC was more about process. It was more about you know, do, do you have the right steps in place to, to reduce the risk? Are you doing enough, right? It wasn't to be overlords and, and you know, like we're going to be all over you. It was, you know, do you, do you understand the risk? It's like your driver's license, right? You, take, you learn, you test, you take a sample, to, you, your sample is your driving exam. And okay, we're going we're gonna to go with the fact that until something gives us a reason otherwise to disregard the rules, you're good to go. Um, but that was... Um, it, it just, it was phenomenal. And in the time that I was on my uh, administrative leave and I was not allowed to communicate with them, were some of the loneliest days of my life. I mean, these people were, you know, I consider dear, dear friends and not being able to communicate or talk um, in a professional manner was hard. I mean, I think, what, 10 months they had me on administrative leave? That was killer. That, that killed me because I don't think, and, and I could be very wrong. My perspective is there were a few of us that were very, very vocal. Um, and I'll and I'll bring back my Nick Shalon. Nick was incredibly vocal, um, but he didn't. He, he it was Nick's way of doing things. You know, it was going to be Nick's way, and it's not a dig on him because he's an intellect. He's brilliant at what he does. Mine was a collaboration. I was like, all right, tell me what, tell me what's wrong here. Tell me what works. What's what is redundant? Why are we doing this? And there was a lot of back and forth communication. Um, and I, I don't see that anymore. And that makes me very, very sad. Um, I think that that was a, a, a time where, like I said before, I had leadership that was willing to back me, let me go out there, speak the truth, and backed me up. And the Department of Defense right now is just really risk adverse. And it's and, and it, it, you've got to have people that are willing to, to lean out and, and take risk and say, you know, if, if, if it's in, I think Ellen Lord said it about a year ago um, with the CMMC when she heard that they were slowing it down. 
She goes, I'd rather you go out with an 80% solution than, than don't do anything at all. That doesn't do anything. And, uh, you know, I'm reading the news this morning, right? And we have, you know, China asserting itself over Taiwan and the, the continued electronic cyber warfare that goes on. We just, you've got to have a collaboration. You've got to have open discussion. If you don't, it will never, ever work. Um, and I could talk about programs in the DOD that we, you know, we're working on a, a particular one and the, the Army and the Air Force uh, were both creating a, a very like capability. Um, you know, we made, you know, it was my decision to make ultimately. Um, I advise that, you know, myself and actually uh, Crawl, General Crawl, and I just have the utmost respect for that dude. Dennis Crawl, if you ever get to meet him, he's a heck of a guy. Thin as a rail, but my God, what a nice guy. And really has his, uh, he really does have all his ducks in a row and is probably one of the, the, the better leaders I've ever been around. But we would have done, we were discussing, you know, which, which capability. And I'm like, well, I, I went with the Army um, and I said, but you need to take the best of what the Air Force has, right? And, and integrate it. And that was the hardest part that, you know, to, to look and say, okay, their capability is just a little bit better than yours, absorb their capability. Well, no, no, our ours is is better in this form. It's like, no, <laughs> it's really not. I mean, we're looking at the numbers. Math doesn't, you know, science doesn't lie. This is a better capability, and I, I think that's part of where um, it, we 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 tend to have a problem is not accepting that you might not have the prettiest baby in the nursery, you know, and. There have been things and, you know, uh, you know, starting out and I can, when I started out trying to um, create this, you know, how everybody has a piece in the, the, you know, I call it the ecosystem of security, right? In the entirety of the, the dib. And it was just God awful. I mean, when I say it, it looked like it was a chart that tried to like, incorporate everything to show how everything was needed and literally were cogs and machines by the time I added all of it I mean it was pardon me but a shit show and I laid it out in front of uh, a few people and they're like I can't read this and and in my mind it made total sense I was like no don't you get it everybody's a, a part of this this machine and a cog and what they do really does matter and when if you take one piece out it doesn't work and they're like, yeah, no one's going to understand that. It's not easy to hear that, right? When you've spent, you know, months working on something on your own time that, you know, you, you put yourself out there that this is fair and, you know, yeah, it's not, yeah, that's, that's, that's hard, right? So you have to have empathy for the person that you're talking to that, you know, you disagree um, with what they're, with maybe their baby, right? But it, you've got to have the conversation to get beyond it. And, you know, I had a lot of great collaborators in industry and in the building um, that wa- got through that with me. You know, um, I'll, I'll give another example um, within the building. Right. I, I, there is this one woman I think is a, a one woman machine, uh, Jen Santos. If anybody hasn't ever met Jen Santos, you got to go meet Jen Santos. She will blow your mind. And she was in charge of industrial policy. And she and I both wanted the same thing when it came to supply chain illumination. We both wanted, you know, this 
you know, hers was more on the financial sector, right? She wanted predictive analysis to see when a transaction would be occurring. And mine was illuminating the supply chain because I knew that my prime due to contract privity couldn't see to the bottom of their supply chain, right? But there was a way to do it. And you were talking about tier one, tier two, tier three, you know, tier four downstream as far as on that supply chain, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and Jen wanted it, you know, we were both talking supply chain risk management, right? Cyber, what, what's risk? Hers was more, and it was it, listening how, you know, we both had the same thing. And here's where the problem lied, right? There's only so much money, right? You can only do so much. And, but it's not to say that her vision wasn't the right vision, right? Because ultimately ownership of capability, technology, um, and, and companies within our supply chain is critically important, right? Because China's been buying up our supply chain for 20-something years. Mm-hmm. And to get that analysis ahead of time to say, oh, that looks like that that might be going to be a purchase. Like that company might be getting set up to get bought and to try and get ahead of that. Um, and mine was, you know, Lockheed Martin. And I keep saying Lockheed. Is, I love Lockheed Martin. Don't get me wrong. Love Lockheed Martin. Love you, Mike Gordon, all you guys over there. But their, you know, their contracts go from prime to sub. That's first tier, right? Then you have the sub is now a prime on, on their own piece of work and they have a sub. And I mean, and, and mm-hmm. you know, Breck, remember the Breck commercial? You tell two friends and I'll tell two friends. Yep. By the time you get down to the, the 23rd level of the supplier to which that's where the adversary is living, by the way, they're, they're, that's where their, their, their superpower comes in is that least likely one in the supply chain is the one that's going to be the problem, right? It's like the target breach, right? It was from the HVAC company. It, it, it's like, who would have thought, right? Yep. It's, and, and coming back up there. And it's when you have that kind of collaboration, right, with industry saying, well, you don't understand this risk. And well, I'll just tell you, you all don't get this, right? Um, uh, another awesome example is I was in charge of the DOD's effort for 889, moving Huawei, removing Huawei out of the DIB. And, you know, the, the Department of Defense said, you know, we're taking, we're ripping Huawei out, but we always get, we gave exceptions. Right. Because I, I actually wrote an op-ed on this. Um, it's really great to give, it, uh, you know, a, a, a line in the sand and say, no, except if you don't have anything to replace it with. Right. Then you're you're losing capability. Right. Um, I do that. I say right too much on this. You guys, when you this is how you know this is unfiltered because I say right too much. <laughs> But that's, I think, where we stumble, right? And we we don't, and I tried with industry on 889, and I, I think we did an amazing job where we had companies that said, okay, we're acknowledging we have Huawei products, but this is our risk reduction factor so that it can't touch networks that have CUI. And it was a collaboration of, you know, because originally the DOD got, you know, the NDAA was out there, I think in 2018, it's that it, the industry didn't like quite grasp it was going to happen. Um, the rule was starting to come out and, you know, industry like flared up. They're like, the world's going to end on, it was in August. I will never forget, you know, myself and Kim Harrington, who was um, 
the DPA, the Defense Pricing and Accounting, um, at the time. And Tim and I are like, uh, industry, you do realize we can't give you a new contract if you, like, if you have 889, and we have to go back through all your contracts and say, do you have any Huawei in your system? And industry was like, yeah, okay. And then the day came and we thought literally the world was going to end. Like acquisition is going to shut down in August of 20. We were terrified. Um, But through industry, collaborating with them and discussing what risk and working with, and this is, you know, I'll give ODNI a great job. You know, we work hand in hand with them to create what would be an acceptable level of risk that we could say, okay, here's here and here. And we did, uh, you know, with all of, and this is another thing that, that the, 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 you know, I, I would say legislators don't understand um, and that your core, the, the, the contract officer is the one evaluating and they're not technical. And, you know, putting a risk-based solution in front of a core without anybody to help them is kind of scary in my mind, right? So for the cores, I didn't want that that to be on them. I didn't want that responsibility of, you know, is this risk sufficient? So I had them all go through my office and take that risk off of them, right? Saying, I'm willing to assume the risk that this uh, risk reduction strategy is acceptable and that I'm willing to assume this risk and let, you know, and the service is willing to assume this risk and we're going to go with it. And ODNI, you know, worked with us on that. That's, that's open collaboration. That's understanding that the, you know, the rules, you can't give exceptions to, to everything because we did that with encryption and we, we really got into a bugger not on that one, right? I think everybody knew, you know, encryption was hard and it was, it was hard to get, so you'd get a waiver and you didn't have to have it encrypted and, you know, and then, 15 years later, you still, you're, you're working with an unencrypted system because everybody was issuing waivers. I remember when Danny Deasy, um, you know, we had talked about it, you know, because I worked hand in hand with the CIO. And the CIO's job is to set the standard. Acquisition's job is to implement it and execute it and audit it and make sure that everybody's compliant. That's, that's acquisition and sustainment's job, not CIO's job. CIO is over the Doden. They have no authority technically over the div. That's acquisition, those contracts. The only thing that you have any control over industry on is in a contract. And we would go in and, and have these conversations about, you know, hey, listen, this is this is in theory a really good idea. Um, and, and Dana Deasy, I, I will give Dana Deasy and Jack Wilmer um, back in the day um, and Essie Miller. Um, gosh, I miss me some Essie Miller uh, when we were, you know, doing risk reduction, right? And talking to them and, you know, what do you think is acceptable risk? How can I write this? And it was collaborative, right? I worked in acquisitions the same and I was the CISO over all of the, the, the contracting and, and acquisition and, and the sustainment of it, but it was in collaboration with the CIO. And Sometimes they would ask for stuff and I'd look at them like, there's no way industry is going to do that. They're just not. And, and why? Well, you don't have money in your contract to do that. There's, there's nothing there there, right? You can't ask that of them. It's not in the contract you currently have. And 
having them understand how complicated it is to change a rule in acquisition and all of what we have in lawyers, in people, you know, the, the, the people that come, the public comment and the lawyers and whatnot. And I'm like, you can ask for it, but it ain't going to happen. I mean, that's one a fun fact in the original CMMC. I wanted to just put it in sections L and M of contracts. That's all I wanted it in. And the level would be there. And I never wanted to do a rule change. But industry is the one that said, no, do a rule change. Because if you leave, this may fall apart. And that would be bad. And what happened? I left and it fell apart. Because we didn't have the rule done. And it's, that's a, you know, and I said this, I think in an earlier podcast, you know, that's, that's a failure of mine that it wasn't ingrained enough to can, you know, with the people to, to, to keep moving forward at a, the pace that we needed, right. That, that break that Jesse Salazar, you know, the DASB, um, he, you know, put a, put a break on it and he did, he absolutely put a break on it. He is the one that stopped the momentum of the CMMC because he didn't understand cyber. Um, he was in a job that he shouldn't have been in. That, that was never, he should, ne- political appointees, I get. But if you don't have expertise and a capability, they shouldn't appoint people. And Jesse didn't understand cyber and was scared of it and, you know, hit the brakes and wanted to, you know, do the reboot and bad, 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 bad. They should have continued with what they were doing finish the rule change, and then you can always come back. But to take a break like that, bad, bad idea. Because it, it then, and this is, Lojo, this is where it really bothered me, right? We had started for the first time in a long time to build trust with industry and the government. And now we're back where we were, right? Nobody knows, you know, everyone's like, eh, And I love looking on LinkedIn and looking at all the different companies that have come up and there are all these different seminars and sessions about CMMC or, you know, supply chain risk management, but the conversations have stopped. It's now, it's not in, it's not collaborative anymore. It's we're putting this out and we, and I say that we, I still, gosh, oh God, I love the DOD. I I still miss that job. Um, But we need to listen to each other. Right. And say, you know, I, I, the op-ed that I wrote that I'm, you know, I hope the heck it gets published. It's about the, you know, the fact that the Federal Acquisition Security uh, Council was stood up, the FAST, I sat on it, and it was to, to determine what risk looked like for the federal government. That's, that's the whole point of the FAST. And when I, I would, when it first stood up, and it, it was all the federal agencies, all the, the, the CISOs of all the federal agencies who came in to determine what risk looked like. We had CIOs and CISOs in there for, for software capability, et cetera. Three years, we never got anything done. Three years. And it, it because there was no industry collaboration. And what I used to go into those meetings and say, you know, we're sitting there in OMB and we're, we're walking through it. And I, I would look across the table. And I'm like, industry will never go with that. And they're like, we, and I'm like, it, they're like, we're the government. And I said, yeah, I know, but you have to find the, the fine line between 
risk reduction, right? And putting people out of business. And there's, there's a fine line there and you have to be cognizant and your contracts that you have right now for some of these things are 10 years long. And unless you've got money to go back and renegotiate that contract, you're stuck. And that was, you know, that was a lot. But in three years, they never got anything done. I mean, they're still there. And and in this op-ed, I wrote, you know, what they should be doing, you know, in in supply chain risk management is these are the guidelines of what risk looks like, right? How much ownership of a foreign entity is acceptable? How, if you're going to put software in, into a system and you don't have the source code, how do you put risk reduction strategies in to ensure it, right? That you're buying it, you don't have a software bill of lading, you've had it in your system for so long, you you have to just have risk reduction strategies, right? Um, It's so complex, right? Um, And it's, somebody's got to be the grown up in the room and, and go to industry and say, okay, what are you guys doing, right? How do you look at risk? What, what are your risk factors? And the CMMC was a big part of that, right? Cyber insurance, they were waiting for CMMC to roll out for the cyber insurers because there's no baseline right now for what is a good practice, right? There's no auditing. So you say you're doing the NIST, right? So you go to an insurance company because, you know, Chris Krebs said it the other uh, last week, by the way, love me some Chris Krebs. Um, he, he said it last week, you know, it's, it's the ransomware that's kicking our ass, right? It's not the hack, it's the ransomware and getting locked out of systems and having to rebuild systems. And, you know, to, to, honestly, your insurance company, right? When you get a ransomware and you go, no, I've got a ransomware cyber, you know, pick up my cyber insurance company and say, okay, I, I've got a problem here. Well, were you doing the right thing? Well, if you had the CMMC audit, you you had that you you understood the risk, you had a process for implementing it. So you should, ha- you know, that was the, that was the thought of the CMMC was how are you going to help get insurance rates, your driver's license, and how your insurance is the evaluator of what how much risk you are. I mean, you get pulled over five times for speeding over 100 miles an hour, great, you get fined, but your insurance goes through the roof. That that's how you determine who's risk. Yeah, and, and there's nothing out there. For us. And I think one of the things that's uh, that's uh, very clear now too is that um, insurance companies are adjusting. And just as insurance companies at the end of the day are in the business to make money, right? And so, oh, yeah. as the volume of ransomware and attacks and stuff from there continues to increase, they are going okay. Here's where we have exclusions, <laughs> right, uh, on this because now you're getting to a point where they're saying, you know what. There's way, there's so much more of these ransomware attacks at this point. What are our exclusions? What are our protections from an insurance company standpoint? Um, Which then makes that industry more and more untrusted when you start talking about insurance on that, because now you're like, hey, I'm getting cybersecurity insurance. Our biggest threat is ransomware. Uh, But our insurance company is saying, hey, these are the additional controls or the additional requirements that we have for you as an organization. And here are our exclusions uh, for that. And so they are also yeah. looking at this industry across the board and going, hey, my risk is saying <laughs> you from our end, as far as our, accept- our acceptance of the risk and stuff too, uh, from insurance to reinsurance is, uh, is, is, at, uh, is being threatened as well. So 
That's yep. where we're being pushed to when there's a lack of requirements, a lack of what is actual good cyber hygiene, what is actual good practices versus, hey, great to have, but what's really kind of mandatory that should be in place for you, right? So that, that on that, right? So in the CMMC to, you know, the one I worked on, right? Mm-hmm. Those 20 additional controls that were added in to level three. You know who wanted those in? Industry. They wanted them in. They felt that the NIST 171 wasn't enough at, at, at its current state. And they wanted those additional 20 controls in. They felt that that would be, you know, as the prime, as the sub, as all of it, that they needed those additional 20 controls. And the original level four and five were going to be for what, what is, you know, NIST 172, right? That the, the really exquisite cyber capability and security that's needed. But, and, and the cyber insurance companies weighed in too, by the by, you know, because we were talking to them as well. I mean, when, I, I don't think anybody can appreciate how many conversations were going on in front of the public, in meetings, during, you know, the, the year and a half we were creating that. We were talking with the financial sector. I was talking to international people constantly, because you got to remember the UK put out a cyber standard before anybody did. But theirs was more about data privacy. It really wasn't about what we were talking about. But talking to them, talking to the Aussies, the Canadians, talking to Israel, talking, you know, internationally how they were doing it, right? Then the financial sector, you know, how are you all doing it? How's the healthcare sector doing it? You know, there's, you know, the firma is is in the financial sector. Is that sufficient? And and from their perspective, no, it wasn't. They were like, no, we need more. Like we are, we put more rules on ourselves in industry and the financial sector than the government does. Um, but it, it's different because that's that's you know the financial sector is your money. The the DOD money is taxpayer money, right? It's it's not my money. So I've got to make sure that we're we're doing the right things with it. But there was so much conversation going on. But the cyber insurance companies were definitely in the part of the conversation. I, I think that that has stopped. I don't think that they've continued that conversation, um, which is bad. Uh, because if you do, you know, it's kind of, you know, what we do in the DOD, we have to be able to make it work in the, in the, the financial structures that we have. And if you don't have that constant dialogue, you know, it's, it's, it's going to get stagnant. I mean, in our acquisition process ain't great, right? Yeah. That's, you know, the, 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 the valley of death and everybody keeps trying to come up with new ways to get out of the valley of death. And, you know, everybody is so concerned to like, oh, the CMMC or we're making it too hard for small business. Listen, folks, anybody listening right now, if you're a small business and you, you say your expertise is cyber and you think that NIST 171 is too much, you shouldn't be doing your job. You're in the wrong business. And shame on you for saying you're a cyber company and you can't even do that. Shame on you. That's ridiculous. If, you're, if you are a cybersecurity company and you can't do that, what the heck are you doing? And I could get on my whole other side of, you know, small business, you know, right now the the Department of Defense is very much focused on small business, right? But one in every five small businesses in in the regular capital markets fail, but we don't want anybody to fail in the DOD. That's ridiculous. And I I owned a small business. I, I can speak, right? I 
I did it. My husband still owns a small business. It's hard work. But, you know, if, you know, my husband's a land surveyor, if he doesn't have his licenses and passes his exam, and when he gets audited, he doesn't pass them, he's out of business. There's no get well program, right? In the Department of Defense, we want to make excuses. And that's where our adversary is coming in and, and ransomware, you know, buying up small companies because nobody's paying attention. You know, we've got to understand that what we are doing in the DOD for federal government, for, for national defense, we, if you're, if you can't get the basics done, then we either A, need to reevaluate how much money we have for the program so that we can pay you to do the right things, right, to elevate you, which was the CMMC, because I went in and said it's going to cost more programs. We're allotting more money in there um, to, to get it done. Um, or maybe you just shouldn't be in business doing this. And people are worried, like, if you, you know, we're not going to have the capability, you're going to drive it away. No, what you're just going to end up doing is you're going to get the people that are going to do it right for the right amount of money. And, and, and then business will follow, but acquisition right now is so buggered up. I mean, and until we get ahead of ourselves in that, um, and, and understand that we, the way that they budget in the department of defense and the way we run our, you know, our, our federal budget, it's like running on quicksand, right? It's, and I don't think it's going to get any better. I mean, we're in it. We're call. I don't care what political party you are. We are heading into a ugly recession, right? And the the challenge is a workforce. So you're in a you're in a contract, firm fixed price, right? You're locked in for five years, and you can't get anybody to work for what you bid on the work two years ago. Now, who's going to pay that? You know, what do you do there? Because you can't find people to work at that rate because we we inflation you know the workforce is dwindling etc. What do you do? And acquisition doesn't have a way process you know controls and levers to come back to that. And we've got to because things are going to get interesting here in the next eighteen months if they haven't already right the 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 COVID restructuring um, you know the workforce dwindling. Um, there's a great book if, if your, your listeners um, uh, to go and, and to, to uh, there's this book that I it's um, the end of the world is just the beginning by Peter Zeehan and I don't know if you've ever read his book um, but it's he's talking in the book about how the global economies are changing and how we're we look at China as our, our, our near peer threat, and they are. But in 10 years, they will not have the workforce. They will die off to sustain the work that they're doing now. We are not far behind them. And we're feeling it right now. I don't know. I, I, everywhere I go, I see signs, need help, help wanted. Where did all these people go? Well, the pandemic happened at the at like literally the right time because baby boomers were starting to retire. That was like the the start of the big the, the big wave of retirement. 
And what you're seeing in industries across the country are people don't want to work for, you know, they're not going to go and work at, you know, for $15, you can either work at McDonald's or, or be, uh, you know, a landscaper, right? What are you going to go do for $15 an hour? Um, and we have this massive middle management and, and executives that have retired. They, they, they just got out, pandemic time, poop. And we have this vast void and contracting in acquisition isn't set up to deal with that, right? The cost of inflation, you know, the, the, the budget just got, you know, the, the, the give the DOD money for inflation. Well, that's only going to come back and bite us in the butt, right? We, we have to figure a way, you know, I feel bad for John Tenaglia um, running, you know, DPA, DPC and, and DCMA. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Right. How, what do you look at as inflation? What do you look at as security versus, you know, implementing controls that you weren't doing and putting it in now? Where do you, where do you find the line? What's COVID? You know, what was the expense of COVID in a company? Because for two years, we told manufacturers, everybody had to be six feet away from each other. So smartly, some of them, I mean, I don't know if anybody realized they did this, but they came back and said in their contracts, we need more space. We need more, we need more square footage. Therefore we need more money because we can't have people, they have to be six feet away from each other in cubicles. I mean, that's, it's, it's in, but we have no tools to really adjust that. And until we realize that our acquisition systems have to change and we have to help in, you know, A, the cores can't assume all the risk. They don't understand security. That's not their bailiwick. They don't understand technical. That's not their bailiwick, right? They understand how to write a contract, how to review it to make sure the pricing and whatnot. But we don't have tabs, you know, technical evaluation teams on every contract. And, you know, that is something that's needed in, in the environment we're going in. And we're not set up that way. So we have to change it. It's really all got to change. And the only way to do that is in collaboration with other federal agencies and the industry to say, okay, how are you doing it? You know, how do you look at risk? How do you evaluate a sub? What do you think is important? You know, why is that important to you? Oh, well, that makes sense. That doesn't make sense for me, but that makes sense for you. Um, and, and, and work it out together because it, it can't keep going. You know, we have small businesses that, you know, and I keep going back to the CMMC. You know, they, they want to put everybody into one cloud right? Like a government controlled cloud, small business, you can't get the capability. So we're going to furnish a government cloud that's an aisle five, aisle six. Well, first of all, you're going to need a fleet of lawyers, right? Because if you're in a cloud instantiation and you're putting all the small business into that cloud instantiation and something happens within that to somebody's capability that that's their intellectual property, they own it, their IP, Bad, bad news. Second problem with doing that is you're now consolidating a honeypot for the adversary to focus in on, right? That's bad too, right? So they don't have to work hard to, to, to get around it. Third, um, you're saying that the small company that can't get their, their security together to do it on their own, you're going to hope that they're going to log in and do everything appropriate to get into the cloud. And you want everybody else, all those small businesses in the cloud to assume the same risk as 
this company that can't get certified? I can't. And tell me if I'm wrong. I don't see how that works. I can tell you right now, as a small business owner, I would never do it. <laughs> Amen, right? brother, right? I would never do it. How do, how do I operate my business in a government cloud at IL5 and IL6? I don't operate a business at IL5 and IL6. But that's now what the government, that's now what the DOD is looking at. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and I, cause I shot yeah. this down. Uh, I'll tell you in 2019, this was, they, they called it the dib cloud. And I said, Nope, not just no, but hell no. Mm -hmm. And the, you, the John, Johns Hopkins. Um, and uh, I can't think of the other one, both Carnegie Mellon were like, what? Mm -hmm. No, this is the best solution. I'm like, no, it's, it's a, it is a theory, theoretical academic solution. Mm -hmm. I hear you, but it doesn't work in the real world. I mean, and yeah, the thing is, is that we can operate a project like that, right? Let's say a product yeah. or a program like that. You can do that. But as far as your day-to-day -day ability to conduct business and stuff from that, um, that's a little bit different. When we're talking about commerce, oh, that's different. No, but... And that's amen brother right and i and and that's the thing like for so you you are just you could be in the you would be the great example to bring in the dod right are you going to set up a cloud for every single project or are you going to set up one cloud and put everybody into it right and if you're going to set up a cloud for every project that's ridiculous that's expensive and and what was happening in, you know, this is primes were starting to realize that it would be easier and cheaper, right? That if they had a cloud for a particular project that their smalls could get into to work to the niche, that was the solution set, right? Offloading it to the prime who ultimately holds the responsibility, their control, right? They can issue a laptop that is, you know, established to small business A, a VPN and end, end encryption for whatever you want, like prevail capability and, and go down that way. But no way should a small business, you're, it's like the 8A program, right? Great in theory, horrible in execution. Why is the small business program so damn bad for DOD businesses? Because they cap the growth. And you, we don't have a middle tier, right? You've got 8A, you've got small, then you've got large. How are you supposed to grow as a business when you're, you, you're now competing, you go out of, you know, and I think it, what is it, 45 million or the, the small on, business cap? Yeah, it depends on what you What are, makes right? code. Yeah. What makes code, right? But I always said that was the stupidest damn thing, right? And for years, back to, you know, why the NDIA and all these other associations aren't lobbying for middle tier, right? That, you can't compete as a small business against the Lockheed Martin, right? You, 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 you come up, you look at the, the, the mid-tier ones, you know, and I, I, I look at like, there are a lot of them that, that, that are out there. They're technically a large business, but they're really a small, right? But they've had so much con contract awards over the three-year rolling average, they've priced out, right? So then you get the small that just stay right, and, and the government, literally 
caps them. It's like it's Section 8 housing, right? It doesn't do you any good to say, okay, I really want you to get out of Section 8 housing and, and, and get better at your life, but you can't make more than this, and you can't buy a car like this, and you can't have that. Well, how in the heck are you supposed to try and grow as a, you know, yeah. get a job to make more money? The moment you make more money, you're out of Section 8. Well, it's not quite there yet, right? Yeah. The same with these stupid programs that, to me, it's as a small business, I, I was awesome that I had contracts that only we could compete on, but it also held me back and it didn't help ramp. So the company that I worked in, you know, the small business that I worked in and Kevin Burke, I love you. You know, he's out there. Centuria. When I was with them, I, you know, I won a lot of work and I said, you know, we are not set up as a company to win the amount of work that I'm winning you. Like we've got to stop and we don't have the internal well, because we were capped on how much money we could make. Mm -hmm. it's, there's, it, it, it defeats the purpose. And saying, you know, we need to throw more money at small business to get them better. No, you need to let, take the restraints off a of small business to let them do what they need to do, right? The 8A, that, you can't go above 8 million. What the hell? It's, we've got to get better and think about what, makes capitalism work and why it's the best you know capitalism competition you know requirements compliance that's what drives the industry you can't just throw money at a small business because they can't get good right 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 now they're talking about you know they want to give them a cloud well then what are you going to do how are they ever going to get better if you've you government solves the problem Government was never set up to solve your problem. The complete, actually, the complete opposite is what government is. And we, it's it, it's this this OODA loop we keep going through, right? With this is you know, my original thought on CMMC to help small business was if you're not doing it's the same thing when die cap to RMF, right? You got a twenty five thousand dollar grant to hire consultants to help you rewrite your, your, your technical documentation to comply with RMF. So we had an original you know, program set up for small businesses, it was 25 million, I think this year it's 50 million, where you know, the, the NDAA said, you know, okay, got it. Small businesses need a little bit of help, here we go. But the appropriators aren't gonna put the money towards it. So you're still in the same problem you were. Before we continue this great conversation, I've got to tell you about our sponsor, BlackRock Engineering and Technology. BlackRock is a cybersecurity consulting company that is led by industry experts and specialists. BlackRock's innovative approach provides solutions for enterprises of all sizes. They are a minority-owned, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. The customers that trust BlackRock include SecureView, Peregrine, the DoD, and many more. If you are looking for customizable, affordable cybersecurity services, check out our website at www.blackengtech.com. That's blackengtech.com. Now, back to the show. And putting a cloud solution isn't going to help. It, if we want these small businesses to be able to grow, we have to change the way we do business. And Katie, I think one of the... I think one of the 
I think one of the, the points in here, and you know, I spent a lot of time as far as from 2015 through 2000 now, <laughs> even now, mm-hmm. as far as working with small businesses and organizations, even my peer companies, and um, really not only putting in a compliant uh, infrastructure and operation uh, you know, for their companies, uh, but also as far as working on the compliance side of that. And I would say today, they have more options than anything else mm-hmm. out there to be able to comply with this, right? You've got large providers of services, in which case you don't have to invest in tons and tons of infrastructure as far as on your premise in order to comply with this, right? There are ways to do that in so many alternatives now uh, that have the right capabilities, that have um, you know parallel capabilities, both technically, but then also even working on the policy side within organizations to, you know, to, uh, to do that. But yet and still, you still get met with, we can't do that, right? It, it's so, one of the first things that a lot of small businesses say before they actually look into it. And you can see that even in you know, 2015 and then more so when you get into 2018 and 19, the immediate portion there usually was, hey, that's gonna be way too costly for us. We can't do it, period, <laughs> right? And, and yeah. it, you're spot on, right? So one of the things, and um, I put it out, um, I FOIA'd all my documents uh, to come out, you know, because there were 51 hotline complaints about me. <laughs> I select few people. Um, but in one of those FOIA documents out there, somebody called the hotline and said that I was um, working with, I think, Amazon specifically. And I'm like, no, I was working with all the cloud providers. Yep. And what I was saying to all the cloud providers was, if you really want to help, then you get small business packages available that you don't have high upfront subscriptions, and you bill them as their contracts are built because that's how you're going to get them to come to you. And they and I had that conversation with all of them, right? Like CMMC, when we started this, I'm like, listen, I see a lot of this going to the cloud, right? Mm-hmm. But Small business A can't buy that that type of capability, right? You have to be able to break it down into bite-sized pieces. They can take it over the length of the contract that they're getting, the five-year contract or the two-year contract, but you can't have it all on the upfront side. They can't buy it all upfront. And there have been multiple capabilities that you can, you know, I always, I've, I've always been cybersecurity as a service, right? You buy the service. You can do that. That's and the options are growing every single day. That's yep. the thing. There, every day there's some new. You know, I mentioned Prevail. I think Prevail is an awesome, and I can talk about company names now. <laughs> I use Prevail for my own end-to-end encryption in my my email. Right? It's it's when I'm when I'm working on professional, it's it's my thing. Um, but you, it, it's, there's there's new technology, new capability every single day, and people just assume that yep. it costs too much. Yep. You've got to stop and look and say, okay, am I paying? So you buy Microsoft Office 365. Well, do you need McAfee? Nope. Right? Mm-hmm. You already have it. You have antivirus in this package you already bought. So why are you paying for that? And unless you really know how to look at things like that, like you're, you're buying two-factor authentication. You don't need to purchase a, a supplemental to do that, right? If, if yep. you have your ID cards and you're, you're, this is, 
but small businesses don't, you know, they just get fearful. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's the, the exact opposite, right? You're the ones who were fearless, right? You believed enough in yourself or your capability to lean in to become a business. Don't wane, we, because we do that, right? In government does that. We, yep. great, it, it, go, go, go do. Oh, well, well, maybe you're not, you need help. You need help. You need help. No, incentivize that brilliance, that entrepreneurship, that, that bleeding edge capability, crazy thought. Go, don't suppress it. Figure out ways to help. And there are better ways than help than capping contract rates or giving them, you know, it, to me, it's you know, teach a man to fish, he'll never be hungry. You give him a fish, he'll be back in an hour. You know, I, I think that our, our mentor programs and, and protege programs are lackluster. I don't think that they really do enough. Yeah. I think they, they sound great on paper, but they're really not great, in my opinion. Um, I, I, there, are, there are a whole bunch of things that we could do better that we don't. And we think that, you know, the you know, mentor-protege program, you know, you get one or two a year, right? So, and, and what is, the, the, the government gives money to the mentor to, to bring the protege along. Are they really doing that? Or do they just like to say they're part of the program, right? To me, I'd want to see, well, what are you, what are the criteria? What are you doing? How are you helping this company get better? Does that mean that you're investing in them, a mentor? Are you, you know, are you training their people on, you know, it, to me, some of the best mentor protege programs are learning how to do a cost, a cost account based accounting system, mm-hmm. right? That's a hard thing for a small business to learn. Yep. How do you price it out? How do you price out, you know, your, your overhead forbidden proposal, right? If you don't, if you're not doing it, how do you cost it? How do you understand how much you need to build in for, for uh, BD, right? Um, and, you know, how do you forecast, you know, growth for your company? Those are the type of things you'd think that the mentors would be doing. You know, here's how we, we're going to help you get better. Um, what generally ends up happening is the, the mentor protege, they created a, a particular product. And a year later, the, the mentor buys the protege and, and that's gone. Yeah. That's it. It's, we've got to change the way we do business to stay competitive in the global world market, bottom line. Yep. Um, and many things, I think this, you know, uh, this new bill that just came back, I think is going to beat the bejesus um, out of small business. I, I think that it's not going to be beneficial um, at all um, to small businesses. You can't give a small business money and then know that, uh, you know, you're going to get dinged. Small business owners don't generally make millions of dollars, right? They're, if they're, they're doing anything, they're making about two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 for the owner of the company a year. Yep. Well, now you've just rolled out new tax penalties, right? That's what, new taxes for those people making more than less than $400,000 a year. So what? is a small business owner going to continue to grow? Nope. Yeah, and, and let's, uh, let's, let's dig into that even more. Um, you know, one of the, I guess one of the misconceptions, right? We, we always see, hey, this company awarded $20 million contract, right? Small business wins a $15 million contract, right? They're awarded that. So it sounds great. 
sounds absolutely wonderful, right? That they won that and are getting ready to start work on it. But I think one of the, you know, one of the missing, one of the missing pieces of news to that, and it's also all, it's also what typically owners and leadership in small businesses are reacting to when you say, hey, we're going to levy some more requirements on you is that that sounds great, $20 million. But the reality is that $20 million translates into usually between maybe a seven and 11% profit for that organization, mm -hmm. right? That's what the actual profit typically ends up being, especially in our- I think that's generous. Yeah. And I, and <laughs> I think it's less than that. Very generous, right? Because then they got to turn that back into the business development machine as well to go try and get more yep. business and stuff to that. So you may be looking at five, you know, five to 7%, you know, on that profit on those years. And then let's say that you don't win one of those really good contracts during that year, you're going to be at a loss, right? And what is the cost of money that you're borrowing do the, the business, right? Because most companies, small businesses, they win an award like that. They need to go to the bank and say, mm -hmm. okay, I've won this award. I need to be able to have six months of payroll in the bank. Yep. What's the cost of that money now? Oh, they're now that's very high interest. It's usually very high interest and it's short term, yeah, short term, you know, capitalization. And, yeah. and, and when yeah. I, when I see our economy doing what it's doing and it, this isn't, you know, I'm not, this is started in the pandemic under the previous administration and into this administration, right? It's the cost of money for the small business is more the problem, the workforce and the cost of, 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 of capitalizing it. That's, that's their problem. Mm -hmm. And then the other fun thing that government, you know, legislators don't like to hear, right, is that when a large prime wins work, right, what they generally do is they give the admin work to the small, and they take the really high profit work and keep it for themselves. And the small business ends up getting the crap work. Unless there's a niche capability that they're, you know, they won the, 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 the event. It's not like they're getting the, you know, the sweet, you know, lucrative part of the contract. They're generally getting the crap of the contract in my, in my time that I was in industry. And that was, you know, unless I was the, you know, the, the prime as a small business prime, but I even did that to my sub, right? Like yeah, it, I want you and I, I, I've got to bring in, you know, an 8A. I'm great with bringing an 8A in, but all I'm going to give you is my, my administrative work. I'm going to take my, you know, technical development, software development. I'm going to keep that. Um, because still, I want that in my past performance, and that and that is that is still if you're if you have new businesses that do not have kind of that savvy owner that's been at the big, and then also has been at the small that understands how that works, and when you're getting into let's say teaming and approaching this and making sure that also you get consideration for let's say the engineering positions as well. Uh, within uh, within mm -hmm. the contract, ones that are going to bring along a larger margin, you know, for that from a, from a labor standpoint, that's exactly what happens. You end up with the with the admin or maybe the program management, you know, components of those that uh, really are kind of you know hand to mouth, right? Uh, you know, for you, where it's you know, you know low margin, uh, you have basically uh, a set of commoditized skill sets and stuff too that you need for it, and it's. Basically, hey, they're there for that contract, and then immediately after that ends, they're 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 they're, they're gone. So, 
so that is one of the struggles from a uh, <laughs> from from a small business standpoint, uh, especially if you haven't developed that relationship with that prime. As far as like, hey, look, from a workshare standpoint, I'd like to have these several positions in this this area as well. Yeah. Well, you know what? The in the small business offices, they should be teaching that, right? Mm-hmm. That and I couldn't explain to people like you unless you have been, and this is the problem that the government has, right? We have a bunch of people in. The small business administration in small business offices um, in inside the government that have never worked in the industry. They have been government employees, so they do not understand that you have to teach that skill set. the 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 valley of death and why we lose so many companies, you know, getting out, moving away from the DoD or the federal government, is a no one is there to help them understand that right? You have an HR person in a small business that is going out and, and looking for somebody, you know, first they put on the first, this absolutely kills me. And somebody called me in another hotline complaint against me is I don't have a college degree. Um, I'm 51 years old. I've been in industry a long time. I've taken a lot of college courses, but that degree doesn't mean boo at my age, right? What you should be looking at and these small businesses, you know, that are farming out their HR and they're using Indeed and whatnot is they're putting the criteria of a four-year degree. Well, you're missing the NCO that has been in this capability for all these years and knows exactly what it is. You're missing that, that whole segment. Small businesses don't get the education to say, don't look at the education, right? Look at the qualification. Don't look at the certification, look at the qualification. Teaching small businesses, don't get excited when a prime comes to you and says, okay, let's team. You have to have somebody who really understands teaming. Those should be courses that we're teaching, right? But we're not. There's, that, that's not what they're teaching them. They're, they're, they're not helping business get better. They're, they're just teaching them how to use the system the way it is to, to, to get through it. And my thing is, is if, we want this valley of death to go away. There's got to be, you know, a, a shortened runway. We have to sh- teach small businesses that are new to the government how to look at teaming, how to look at hiring, how to write a, 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 an RFP that, that inter, intertwines all that. I mean, writing a proposal, right, is an art. It truly is an art. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to explain your capability to whatever, you know, entity, that's why I say, you know, it's, just, it's a lot of the same things like Army calls, uh, you know, uh, uh, the e-tool, right? That's a shovel, essentially, right? But you have to be able to speak to that. Yep. They don't teach that. And that's, that's hard. And that's where people think that it's, oh, the government's too hard to work for. No, it's because you're just not explaining or giving any opportunity for the small business to understand how to do business with the Department of Defense or federal agencies. And the courses that they come up with, I'm looking at them like, I wouldn't sit through that. That's, that's not helping me. Like, I would love a class on how, how to use, you know, the, the acronym Bible, right, in the DOD. How do I use that to my advantage? And how is it a weakness, right? How do I explain the capability if the acronym in the Air Force is one way and the acronym in the Army is the other? And you don't have somebody writing proposals that understands the difference. What is the capability? What are the key words to the capability? That should be more important than anything. Um, it's it just, there's so much we could be doing better, but acquisition, 
let's go back, right? It was set up in, in, in the 50s and the 60s. It's not set up to be, you know, we went through, you know, bless their Ash Carter, right? You know, uh, what lowest price technically acceptable, LPTA, still exists, didn't go away. I don't want the, the lowest price technically acceptable engineer working on my nuclear program. I'm sorry. You know, there you're cutting a cost in there somewhere. And I, on most programs, I don't think LPTA should be used. Um, it's, it, it, there's a whole bunch of things that we're doing wrong. And, and the way the government, you know, the, the government approves the budget every year. So the DOD is sustaining, you know, right now, I think this year they got a bump up because of inflation, but about $750 billion a year, right, that they run on, on average, you know, it goes up up 20 or $30 billion every, you know, two, three years. But are they going to have, it, it should be something that, that's why I think zero-based budgeting is the only way to get the government right, right, is that we understand, A, this is how much the DOD is going to have, and you're going to guarantee that they're going to have this no matter what every single year and that these programs need to show cost cutting if they're into sustainment. If you're in sustainment, you should have cost cutting, cost cutting reductions every single year. Because if you're doing it in sustainment, you should be finding out better ways to do it and cheaper ways to do it, more economical ways to do it. Uh, but we don't, we don't do that, right? We don't do incentive-based contracting. Um, we don't incentivize government, you know, employees that that understand how to make it better. We don't incentivize them to do that. We we penalize them actually. We penalize on both sides. I mean, there's so much we need to do to get better. But the only way we're going to do it is if we have, have open conversations and people tell the truth. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that always mystified me is you know I don't I tell my truth. I don't. You know, I, I, some people say I'm way too harsh and I don't have, you know, the polished. Well, I just kind of tell you the facts. I don't have a lot of time in my life. Like every day matters. And I really, let's just kind of say, okay, this is the reality, right? This is what it is. Can we fix it or can't we? And instead of trying to spend, you know, 10 hours trying to sound articulate and really, you know, here's the problem, right? This is a square. This is a circle. They don't fit together. How are we going to make it work? Yeah, and I think uh, and yeah, a, a a a a quick just kind of pivot as well as far as on that topic. So, you know, we have our LPTA environment, right? Uh, we're we're, mm-hmm. we're working, and then you know, lowest cost wins as well. You know, technical acceptability or acceptable. But then one of the things that's being asked of in a lot of these acquisitions now is also tell me about your innovations, <laughs> right? Oh, uh, at at a on an LBTA or fixed price, you know, contract innovations in that case. Well, innovations always says that you know what you're gonna have to accept some instability if you want us to innovate within this, right? In that is also costs that you can't project, right? If you want them to innovate. In addition, Amen. when we talk about sustainment, right, um, sustainment, uh, things like spares, right? Uh, right now, mm-hmm. things are about 30% more in cost right now. So when you talk about sustainment and you set your sustainment budget and your projection and stuff in your, uh, in your proposal, 
you weren't expecting a 30% increase in the materials and stuff too, that you would need for sustainment for spares, future sparing and stuff Correct. where you have uh, alternative, uh, alternative sources and stuff for that. You're not expecting that. And that's creating quite a complex ball of trouble for our industry across the board. When we talk about some of our most you know, sensitive or uh, advanced technologies that are being sustained or moved into sustainment right now is that's the danger is that the cost is higher. You're not getting paid for innovation, right? You can't give the government free services either, right? When it yep. comes to that. And so when you talk about the only way that you can kind of drive industry, it's not a matter of you being a despot and driving industry. It's enabling industry to service you better, right? That's, so- that that op-ed I keep telling you I want out there is exactly that. Now, it, and I, I will say I talked about mine, mine specifically about the semiconductor industry and how to get it to work for us, right? You, you need a supply chain base so that you can get companies to, to, to put the risk out there to innovate, right? But right now, uh, an EUV, right, the main, the, the thing that actually makes the chip is made by one company in the entire world. Now, how are we supposed to innovate and get ahead of that when there's only one company that's doing that? Shouldn't we be looking at, you know, how do I get a company to innovate, right, when I don't have a supply chain to give them what they need? And you are exactly right. In this supply chain crisis that we're in, which is self-created, we have created our own nightmare over the past 50 years. This is not something new. But it, the, what we're running into right now is I can't, you know, I'm sitting at home today and I ordered deck material in April. It is August and I'm still 12 weeks out, right? We have to get better at per, getting our own supply chains, getting our own capabilities in at least our hemisphere <laughs> to make it so that we have some control over it. But when you're talking about, you know, the, 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 the raw material that we need, we try and go buy laptops right now. I dare you, right? You want to start a company. I dare you to do, go and co- find enough laptops. The chip shortage is killing us on every, you can't buy cars because of chips. It's not because the, everything isn't there. The chips aren't there. We just don't have them. You, 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 it's, we have to get better. And I just, our government and the way we do business in the sustainment contracts, your, your point right now, you know, A, parts, material, but labor has gone up. How do you, and the pittance that the government is giving us, right? It's, it's this OODA loop, right? You're giving 6% uh, for inflation. Well, inflation is a hell of a lot more than 6%. I think it, what was the last number? Nine was 9.1% inflation. And you're giving us six. How does that work? Like the only, the, the government says inflation is at blank percent, but we're only going to give the, the, the federal market six. How does that work? Who's going to eat the rest of that? Those are the things I just don't understand. Like mathematically, how does that work? Explain it to me. No, you're right. Nine point one percent. Right. And and I think that the, what they said in the, the the budget increase that they gave to the DoD was six. 
So mm-hmm. that's 3.1%. Who eats it? Yeah. So now well, then you're... and then on top of that, 2023 and 2024, they plan on that being 2.7% on top of that 9.1%. <laughs> so... So, so you, you're in a firm fixed price sustainment contract, you're screwed. You're screwed. And this is why I'm saying the acquisition system doesn't, you know, you, you should be it's like, okay, guys, um, it's one thing if I could get the part, but I can't even get the part. <laughs> so I'm struggling here. And then I, I can't, I can't get the part. So I can't have the person fixing what I need them to fix. So I can't keep them working with something. So I, I've got to do layoffs. I mean, you, you can, it's just so complex. There's so many problems, but the bottom line is, is if we continue doing what, you know, I'll go back to my, you know, I think on our first podcast together, you know, the definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different outcome. My mom used to say, you know, if you've done what you did, you're going to get what you got. Um, and, you know, everything in that we're talking about is because we, we keep doing the same things and expect a different outcome. And we have to make massive changes to get the outcomes we want because our outcomes are what our expectations are and what we're doing to, to get to that expectation, they're worlds apart. They are worlds apart. And until we have the open communication between industry and government saying, listen, I know you want a diamond, you know, ring with you know a perfect 10 karat diamond with you know set in a beautiful 18 karat gold setting you know and you want it to this is what you want but you're giving me enough money to buy a chip and you want that there's got to be an understanding of of true cost and how to get it there and and how to execute it with all the requirements that you put in between you know between me buying it and getting it and then saying you know oh well yeah, I thought that's what I wanted. That would, that's always been my favorite in contracting, right? Is mm-hmm. when you, you one of the, 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 about 10 years ago, I was working on a program. And what we were developing and creating was to the contract terms specific. But when we went to turn it over to the, 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 the customer, they're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, listen, literally, we did exactly what you asked. No, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you about that one. <laughs> Having that, the contracts, the way that they're, you know, like it's, that's why I, I don't think software development fits. I don't see it in earned value management, right? Mm-hmm. They are two very different worlds and EDM and software development don't speak. And everything is software enabled now. So how are you using EDM as your marker of, you know, working when you're doing software that doesn't fit? That? That's a whole nother animal that we, we have to figure out, but we can't in the government. And I say, we, I, gosh, I miss my job. Um, the government can't solve this alone because government people are generally within the government. They don't have the industry experience. And unless you get that fine balance, you know, and I'm going to say that, you know, that my time in the Pentagon, the only thing I could talk about is my time. And this isn't about politics. This is about my time in the Pentagon. We had a lot more people from industry in the building than we had ever had before. You know, Ellen Lord never worked in the building. She was always outside in in contracts, right? She was in industry. So for her to come in and take over acquisition and sustainment was revolutionary. She understood money. 
She understood what, what industry could do. And what did she do? She brought in Kim Harrington, who had been running, you know, Textron's, you know, CFO, right? To run defense price and contracting. He understood what it was going to take industry to do things, right? That was avant-garde. Now, she balanced that with having Kevin Fahey being her assistant um, for, for the assistant secretary who had always been in government and understood the government rules. And I'll tell you, some of the best, most innovative times where Kim Harrington could sit at the table with Kevin Fahey and Kim would say to Kevin, I, industry can't do that. And Kevin would say, but this is the, the rules. And, and Kim would say, but they can't do that. And that's where the adaptive acquisition framework came from was those, those, that collaboration. Now, right now we have Bill LaPlante who came from MITRE um, running, oh, uh, he's the ANS and, you know, he, and this is the part where we have a moment in time again, right? Bill was part of Delivered Uncompromised. People forget about that. That's, that's what he did. He was part of Delivered Uncompromised and now he's over ANS. So he should be the one right now, like going, wait, dudes, we have this opportunity. Like this is this is everything I've talked about that's wrong. We 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 can't deliver this this way. Um, but yet we still have the government doing the same silly stuff that they've been doing. It's it's we've got to set ourselves up for success, not failure. And we just keep doing it. We just we keep doing the same things again and again. And then, you know, but everything else, but in any case, do I? Um, and you have more of this also in your op-ed as, as well. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if it ever gets published, it's brilliant. You know, I, I talk about, you know, we, we have got to understand we no longer can function. It, it's like, all right, so how did China get really, really good at taking industry from us? I mean, besides the fact that we were giving them a ton of money, right? They lowered their corporate tax rate. People don't realize that was like the, the cheap labor, one thing, but the corporate tax rate was more of the incentive. That's why companies were moving over there, right? I mean, now let's be altruistic, right? Yes, they care about their workforce, but at the end of the day, they're publicly owned corporations and they have to provide a profit, right? So there's, there's a level well, China got smart. They're like, yeah, we'll just drop our corporate tax rate. And what are we how, doing? We just raised it. Yeah. And here's how appetizing is for a U.S. entity to do that. They have to open up an entirely new entity in China to do that. Yep. Right. Yeah, and their so money. Yeah, it's people are willing with that drop in corporate tax rate. People are willing to create an entirely new company in China in order to take advantage of that. So what I said in my op-ed, right, is that, A, we need to incentivize the buyer. In, so mine was about semiconductors, right? So they're doing this 25% tax credit to industry that stands up to build this capability, right? Semiconductors. I'm like, well, that's not going to help, right? <laughs> so you have China, Taiwan, building semiconductors, the microchips, right? In China, they're they're not the they're not the I would say the the high grade chips. Those are generally out of Taiwan, but the you know the the cheap chips <laughs> that go into your clock or you know etc. They're coming out of China, and they're basically at cost because China wants their chips out there as much as possible, right? 
So my theory is we should be giving tax credits to our companies that are buying our chips so that they're being sold basically at cost so we can compete. Otherwise, we can never compete. Am I, is that coming, am I making sense in how I'm just describing that? Yes, you are. Yep. And that's how you solve the crisis problem, right? It's, you have to have, a, it's like you have to have a cost comparable price so that people can buy. So even though they're giving all this money for the semiconductor industry, which is the pittance of what's actually needed, considering one EUV, one of those electronic ultraviolet machines is $140 million. And you gave $52 billion over the course of five years. It's not going to change, right? But more importantly, it's the, the cost of the chip that Intel is able to create in the United States is 50% more than the one they're buying from China. How do you compete? You don't, right? To solve this problem, you it's, it's like, let's go back to what podcast did I do the great spitball war in, right? Mm-hmm. Here we are, the spitball war, right? And it's the same for, for every industry, right? We have to be able to, to, to understand. So how about this? You really want to entice companies to come work in the Department of Defense? A special tax rate for companies that DOD, do DOD work. Well, that'll change the game, won't it? If you're working for the Department of Defense, you have a lower corporate tax rate because you're working for the benefit of the government. Isn't that revolutionary? That, to me, changes the game. And you, you start getting more people wanting to work with the DOD because of that capability. You know, we have the opportunity to invest back. I mean, there's tremendous things we could do to change it, right? So small business, you really want to help a small business grow, right? You, you let them waive capital gains so that they can use that for the first five years so they can use that to reinvest into innovation. That's how you use the system to help you. But it, 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 it's, and if government would ever listen to industry, that's what they're saying. Right, you're taxing us to death. We 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 can't let us use this. You know, if if small business company owner makes money, right, because they're generally set up as a C corp, right, they get taxed on it. How about you let them reinvest it, and they don't have to pay taxes. They're reinvesting into their company at the end of the year instead of having to take all their money out um, of the company because they don't want the company taxed, right? So they take a draw at the end of the year, the person gets taxed, but the company doesn't. It's all back-ass backwards, I'm sorry. I could go on for days. If I could only be the leader of the world for one day. Let's end it right there. It's all right there. Day. Now we really know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's, I'm not unique, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm not unique. It, it, there are a lot of intelligent people that have the same ideas. It's just how we get those people up there to, to you know, to, in elevated in companies and whatnot. It's risk, right? Uh, everything I've just said, there's a, there would be a thousand people who come with a million reasons why what I just said was totally too risky. But if you don't try, I mean, you're going to get what you got. And we can end it on that. All right. Thank you, Katie. Great insight on this with industry or government. And, you know, I, I think it's a, 
again, you end up with the gray, right? There's the gray industry or government. And I like your answer. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. 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 And, right. and we, at some point it's got to, it, it, it's, it's got, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not a me thing. And this is part of it, right? When I say nobody, it's because neither one of them in control. If they don't understand that they're together doing it, it's a we thing. That's what I kept saying time and time again. This isn't a me thing or a you thing. This is a we thing. Industry and government, who's in charge? They both are. Nobody is right now because everybody wants to be. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying we both are. Awesome, guys. That's, thank you so much. As always, I love chatting with you. Uh, you the same. You the same. Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. We want to thank Katie for coming on with us today on this amazing episode in this exclusive series, Exposing the Truth About DOD Security. Let us know what you think of season two. And if you want to see updates on this series and more, follow our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube pages. If you have questions for Katie or want to come on the show, you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We will be releasing a new episode in this series every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We hope you are as excited as we are. With that, we will say goodbye, have a great week, stay safe, and stay secure.